0: Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. If you have Jesus, you don't need any more because it's not Jesus plus anything, it's just him. If you have your Bible open to 1 John chapter 2, when we were going last year through the book, taking a, a, a book a week and picking one passage out of it and preaching, in October I preached on these two verses. So I'm well aware that I've preached this passage for those of you who put the date down. There's two reasons I'm going to preach it again. First of all, is to keep the continuity. I was going to skip it and I was encouraged, no, just keep the continuity of 1 John as we're going through it. I said, okay. And the second reason I'm doing that is because you didn't get it in the first place. (laughs) You know I'm kidding you, I'm just teasing. Last week, we talked about walking in the light, walking in honesty before the Lord. We know that we're sinners saved by the grace of God. We have the resurrected Jesus living in us. We have his power, his life in us. And John goes on in verses 1 and 2, which really is a continuation of what we looked at last week. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin, And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. A pastor, a preacher, was riding a bicycle through the neighborhood making some visits. He came across a little boy, had a lawnmower out in the front yard, had a for sale sign on it he stopped and said, son, how much you want for that lawnmower? And and the boy said, well, you know, I really just want enough to get a bicycle. The pastor said, well, would this bicycle work? I need a lawnmower. And the little boy said, well, let me check it out. He got on the bicycle, he rode around and he said, you know what? I like this bicycle. You got yourself a deal, mister. We'll make a trade. About the time the little boy was driving off, riding off, he pastor started pulling on that lawnmower and he couldn't get it started couldn't get it to fire he said hey 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 wait a minute is there a secret to getting this lawnmower started he said yes sir you have to cuss at it (laughs) preacher said i don't cuss in fact it's been so long since i quit cussing that i've about forgotten how he said well you keep pulling on that mower it'll come back to you Isn't it amazing that after you get saved, sin keeps coming back. It keeps coming back. You don't have to be reminded. You don't have to be taught. It's there. It's what John's talking about. Now remember, John's an older man. He's he's probably close to 100. He's the last living apostle that actually had eyes on Jesus and heard Jesus, saw him, He's writing to second and third generation Christians. They'd never seen Jesus. And now heresies infiltrated the church, the young church. And and there are people saying, well, you have to get up on our level in order to know if you really got saved or not. Or they were saying things like, all matter is evil. And since matter is evil, Jesus couldn't have been human he may have looked human, but he really wasn't completely human. He didn't leave tracks in the sand when you walked beside him. And because all matter is evil, you can live like you want. It doesn't matter what you do. You, you know what? It, it, only the Spirit is good, so you can live in any way that you want to. If it feels good, go after it. And so this, the reason that John is writing them he's saying that listen when you you need to understand that your sin was forgiven and i want you to notice the difference between sin and sins plural john when he saw jesus said behold the lamb of god that takes away the sin of the world all sin and when you come to know jesus as your savior the sin problem is dealt with Your sin for all eternity has been forgiven. But then in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, plural, it's still around. It still comes around. You need to remember the difference between relationship and fellowship. We have a relationship with God that's forever. We have fellowship that has a dynamic to it. But when he's writing to these Christians, they are being told, you don't have to really take sin that serious because after all, you've been forgiven of your sin, so don't worry about what you do now. Or the heretics were saying, because all matter is evil, it doesn't matter how you live. And John said, no, To live in the light, to walk in the light is to be honest with God. And and when you do sin, you confess that sin. You agree with God that, yes, this is sin. I'm looking at this through your eyes. And then he goes on to say, I've written these things that you might not sin. So he's trying to encourage them that even when they do sin, there are some things they need to remember. Now, first... You'll notice the appeal to sinlessness. He speaks with a fatherly concern, little children. It's it's an endearment term, endearment term. He's looking at them as followers of Jesus, and here he is an old man. I'm beginning to relate to that a little bit. Are you? I mean, I notice the older I get when I go to the doctor or I go to the dentist or I go some of these... I see some of these first responders. My first question I want to ask is, how long have you been doing this? <laughs> do, do you know what you're doing? I'm just kidding. I know they do. I know they've got their degrees, and I'm not making light of that at all. It's just that as an older fellow now, I'm beginning to say, you look like a kid to me. <laughs> Little children. He said, can you imagine? These are second and third Generations of Christians, and I'm sure as a, a man in his 90s, he's looking at little children, I'm writing to you to help you know that you're not supposed to sin. Don't let them tell you that sin is no big deal because it still is a big deal to God. God has not changed his holiness, and I'm letting you know that just because they tell you that you can live like you want, that you're under the grace or, of God or that your, your, your body is evil, it doesn't matter. He said, I'm telling you, that's not true. It'd be nice if we could achieve sinless perfection here on the earth, but I'm going to tell you that's not going to happen. There are some who claim they don't have any sin anymore, that they're totally sanctified. Well, that's not true. C.S. Lewis was asked why many Christians seem less than perfect. He should, You should have seen them before they got saved. <laughs> well, that'd be a testimony for all of us. Amen. And then there are people who don't really want to call sin, sin. Let, let's call it a mistake or a weakness or a frailty. And, or, or if they call it sin, there's usually with a snicker, like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'm guilty of that one." Folks, all of us in here are sinners. Let's just get that in the open. If if you're if you're looking for a place of sinful people to attend, you have come to the right place. Because we're all the same. We're all sinners, saved by the grace of God and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Holiness or walking in the Lord is not an option. It's essential. You don't get saved and then later on in your life say, well, I'm going to start living like a believer. No, you need to understand that sure your sin was paid for on the cross, but you have the resurrected Jesus living in you. His spirit is the power of God. The power of the resurrected Jesus lives in you. Jesus didn't save you from your sin and say, now, good luck, you live like you want. He said, no, my spirit, the Parakletos, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit is going to come and live in you. Holiness is such an important matter and people need to take seriously their life in the Lord, but then Satan comes in and he, he messes it up. The first thing he's going to do, he's going to bring legalism into the picture. And so man makes a bunch of rules. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. You better do this. You better do this on a certain day. You better do this in a certain way and so forth. And so we start checking off our lists. I can remember... When I was a kid, we had offering envelopes. i still think we've got them, but, but there were certain things you checked off, everything. And they weren't bad. But just because I could check them off didn't mean I was walking with Jesus. We have a lot of legalism, a lot of ritual. Jesus even hit the Pharisees between the eyes, figuratively speaking, In Mark 7, 6, when he said, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. I don't watch a lot of television, and usually, Laura and I record a few shows that we like, and we watch it when we want to, and then we can fast forward through the commercials. <laughs> so you can watch an hour show in about 40 minutes. The other night, I was there. She was in the other room. I was flipping through channels. I came across a religious service. I used to watch more certain television channels. And I don't want to be ugly about it, but I had to quit doing that because my blood pressure got up too high. <laughs> but this wasn't that channel. There was a bunch of those health and wealth guys that always made my blood pressure go up. I wanted to go. Anyway, I got on this other one and it was a, it was a religious service. I'll not name the, the group, but it was basically ritual. Reading. People would read. And I, I I looked at it and then I looked around there and they looked like none of this meant anything to them. They're just going through the motions. That's legalism. Don't go through the motions. We have a relationship with God. Paul commented about it in Colossians 2, and he said, These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Most of the time, people who are legalists are, are mad most of the time. You ever notice that? They're just mad. You're not doing this and you're not doing that and you're going to hell and you're not doing that. That ought to awaken some of you up. (laughs) Well, then on the flip side of that, you've got those who say, you know, I've been under legalism so long and I found out about the grace of God. Now I can live like I want. After all, I'm saved by grace. So God's laws concerning morality don't really matter anymore. And henceforth, you have a lot of Christians who are living in direct violation of what God said for marriage, for example, or not getting married, and, and they don't think anything about it, and they don't worry about it. And, and it, if it's a direct violation of God's word, I'm not talking about a man-made law, I'm talking about what God said. They don't worry about it called licentiousness. Well, they're not the opposite. Basically, they're the same side or or they're uh, two sides of the same coin because they both have to approach through the outward look and uh, our own flesh. Some people, (laughs) kind of like the batter old man who got up one night during a revival meeting, he said, brothers and sisters, you know I ain't been what I oughta been. I've stolen hogs, told lies, got drunk, always getting in fights, shooting dice, playing poker. I've cussed and swore, but I thank the Lord there's one thing I ain't never done. I ain't never lost my religion. Well that's all it is, is religion. So John is combating this. He's saying, listen, we have fellowship with God. You go back to chapter one. He said, we have fellowship with God and with one another. And and in verse six, those who are walking in darkness and lying, they're not practicing the truth. And in verse eight and 10, he said, they're deceiving themselves. Sin still matters. Sin will take you further than you ever intended to stray. It'll keep you longer than you ever intended to stay. (laughs) And it'll cost you more than you ever dreamed you would pay. Paul said, Don't even, you need to even be careful that you give the appearance of it. So, what happens when we sin? If you don't underline in your Bible, this would be a good place to underline. It's not a sin to underline in your Bible. Verses one and two are worth underlining because I want you to see the advocate we have for sinners. Because Christians aren't perfect, God's provided the help that we need, we have an advocate, the parakletos. It's the, it's the same word John used to describe the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and John 16. The literal meaning means a person who plays the role of supporter, or defender, one called alongside to help. Advocate is used to still today in England, meaning a defense attorney. Why do I need somebody to defend me? Listen to Revelation twelve ten. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. You do know Satan doesn't like you. You do know that at one time you were in his domain and Jesus rescued you, delivered you, saved you, redeemed you, bought you out of that kingdom. Well, Satan's still not going to leave you alone. He can't have you, but he can still accuse you, and he can make you think, well, you know what? If you really were saved, you wouldn't have done that. If you you really were saved, you wouldn't be living like that. And the accusations, yeah, you may have done that, but they'll never forgive you, or God won't ever forgive you, and so forth, and so on the accusations go. And so verse 1 says... We have a paracletos. We have an advocate. I want you to notice three things about this advocate. First of all, he is a present advocate. We have. Present tense. We have now. You have right now Jesus Christ defending you. You don't have to wait on it. He's doing it now. We have an advocate. When we fail, the devil runs to accuse us, but Jesus is there to meet him. I love what John says later in First John: Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Jesus, our attorney, he knows everything about the case. He knows all the details. Now, I used this illustration before, but there was a Cincinnati attorney who was appointed by the court to go defend a man because of of, of a burglary. And so he got permission to, after he went to see the person in jail, he came out and asked for permission to withdraw from the case. They asked him why. He said, well, after going to interview him, I found out that he's accused of burglary. Well, he's the one that burglarized our office. And so the court agreed that the cause of justice would not be best served if the victim had to defend the one accused of offending him. But folks, that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus defends you and me and we're the ones that offended him. He defends us and we're the ones that offended him. He's our advocate. He's present. He's still there. The second thing is He's well positioned. He is with the Father. With God the Father. The same word is used in John 1 1. The word was with God. It means that Jesus is always with the Father. When we sin, the accuser comes charging us as guilty before God. Jesus Christ stands up and says, Not guilty. And the reason we're not guilty is not because of anything we've done it's because of what Jesus Christ has done. Our forgiveness and our standing with God does not depend on anything we do. It is all on the finished work of Jesus. It's not what we do, it's what he's done. And you and I need to understand that we can't be forgiven because of What we have done, Hebrews 7.25 says, "'Therefore he, God, Jesus, is able to save forever "'those who draw near to God through him, "'since he always lives to make intercession for them.'" He's right next. Well, he is God, but he's with the Father. It's worth noting also in verse 2, it doesn't say we have an advocate with the judge. Did you notice? Does your translation say the father? God's not some hostile judge who has to be won over grudgingly. You see on television these shows about attorneys and they're asking, well, who's the judge in this case? And then somebody will name a name and they'll go, oh, no, this judge doesn't like me or whatever. You have a father. Now, what what does that mean? It means that the father is the one who set all this up. God did not compromise his holiness in order to save us. But he justified us because Jesus, the sinless sacrifice, the sinless human, the sinless one, paid the the price for the justice. So the scripture tells us in Romans 3.26 that God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is so so wonderful because God didn't say, well, you know what, I'm going to water down my holiness in order for y'all to be saved. No, the wrath of God was satisfied because of the sinlessness of Jesus. And God's the one that set it up in the first place. So he's just, it's been paid for, and now he justifies you and me because this has been paid for. And he's the one that did it in the first place. Unlike the pagans who appeased their God God's grace does not mean that he tolerantly sets aside his own righteousness. In fact, his righteousness demand was fully satisfied by the death of his son, Jesus Christ. And if you have received and trusted Jesus Christ, your sins have been paid in full. He's also the perfect advocate. Now, John uses his human and his divine name. Why would he put his human name in there? Jesus Christ, the righteous, Jesus being human. John is telling the the Gnostics, listen, he is human. He was fully human. In fact, there's two things. Those names mean two things. First of all, he is the human savior, Jesus. We needed a human savior. People today try to justify themselves, don't they? Hey, 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 I, I was born. I was born in the preacher's home. I went to church a lot more than the regular church person did. After all, you know, we, we lived, we pretty much lived in the church. So I already had extra credit before I got saved. That'd be real easy for me to say. That is not true. But but we try to justify ourselves. Well, the reason I'm this way is because of my parents, or the reason I'm this way is because if somebody did this to me, I'm really not that bad of a person. I was born this way and so forth. We try to justify ourselves. We don't ever call it sin. But can you imagine standing before God? And God... I'm this way because you made me this way. No. No, you were born into sin. I came to save you. And so what did what did Jesus do? Jesus took on flesh. We just celebrated that. John's telling all those Gnostic crazies. I call them the Gnostic nuts. He's telling all them, Jesus really is human. Jesus Christ. The righteous. If Jesus hadn't come and lived a sinless life, you and I would still be lost in our sins trying to justify ourselves. We couldn't do it. But he's also the heavenly sacrifice, Christ. We needed a divine savior. Jesus had to be a lamb, unblemished and spotless. First 1 Peter 1:19. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus lived a sinless life. The God-man. He is the only mediator between God and man. Because he can take the hand of man and he can take the hand of God. And we can be brought together because he paid it all. Don't let any person tell you that there's any other way to be saved. These people that say, oh, we're all going in the same direction. We just call him different names and all that. There's a Greek word for that and I'm going to be kind. It's baloney. (laughs) That's where my blood pressure goes up. (laughs) Notice the atonement for sin in verse 2. He is the propitiation for our sins. Now, the word hilasmos, H-I-L-A-S-M-O-S, means to cover, to put under the blood. It referred to the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament when the high priest sprinkled the blood on the, of an animal sacrifice on the mercy seat. It was a propitiary sacrifice, a sacrifice that covered the broken law. Now God deals with believers based on blood, but it's not the blood of animals. It's the blood, the sinless blood of Jesus Christ who paid it once and for all. Now, the word that John used here, he also used in chapter 4, verse 10. It says, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word was used also by the pagans. You see, the pagans had gods that they tried to appease, they tried to, they knew that, that God was mad at them, and so they would do things to try to make them not mad at them anymore, as a way to put it, or to appease them. And sometimes they would do sacrifices and all kinds of weird stuff. And because of that, a lot of translators, some translators, in some translators of Scripture, don't like that word propitiation, so they use the word expiation. Because they think that propitiation is not in keeping with the character of a loving God. That God is not an angry God that had to be appeased. But folks, it was God's idea. Chapter 4, verse 10, it says, "In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The difference between the pagans and the biblical concept is that in the Bible, it's never man that takes the initiative to placate God or to appease God. Rather, God took the initiative. God loved us. He took the initiative to satisfy his own wrath so that his love may now be shown to the guilty sinner. John Stott puts it this way. The propitiation is an appeasement of the wrath of God by the love of God through the gift of God. He's done it all. You don't have to do anything else to be forgiven of your sin. He's done it all. And I also want you to notice the availability of salvation, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, the heretics who claimed that the knowledge of salvation was exclusive and secret, John throws the door open to the entire world, the world in general. You can't use this verse to say that everybody on earth, is going to be saved. Think of it this way. The deposit's been made for the whole world. But not everyone is going to draw out of that salvation. Can God save everybody? Yeah. Is he going to? No. Only those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone it's universal in provision but that doesn't equate to universal in application it's provided for everybody but not everyone is going to apply it the provision made on one's behalf still requires faith trust Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews 11 tells us. So when you place your trust, you trust, you trust, you trust. That's how you're saved. Don't let anybody tell you that sprinkling you as a baby saved you. Didn't. Baptism doesn't save you. Don't don't try to convince me. Don't write me any letters. If you're watching this online, don't write me any letters. You'll never convince me. I'm as hard-headed as any Baptist has ever been when it comes to that. I am. You don't have to have a priest absolve you of sin. A priest can't do that. Only the high priest, Jesus Christ, can do that. Period, and I always sound like I'm mad I'm just passionate I'm not really not mad there's a hymn there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins God with us that's what Emmanuel means and sinners plunged beneath that flood Lose all their guilty stains. Robert Robertson, when Robinson—excuse me, Robert Robinson—when he was a teenager, ran with a gang of hoodlums and got into all kinds of trouble. When he was seventeen, he went to hear this famous preacher by the name of George Whitfield, who, and he was going to go to scoff at the poor, deluded Methodist. But when he went there, he heard the gospel, the Holy Spirit. Convicted him of his sin, and he got saved. Later, he became the pastor of a large Baptist church in Cambridge. And at the age of 23, he wrote this hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. You know that hymn. Most of you do. Years later, Robinson went through a time of severe depression because of sin. I don't know what the sin was. He sort of left the ministry, sort of walked away. He was traveling on a train one evening when he struck up a conversation with a young Christian woman. He realized, she realized that he was well informed on spiritual matters. So she said, I'd like to ask you a question. I've been reading this hymn and I ran across this verse that I thought was beautiful and I'd like to know what you think about it. And she read these words, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Well, he tried to evade the question. She kept pressing him, and finally he began to cry. He said, lady, I'm the man who wrote that hymn many years ago. I'd do anything to experience again the joy I knew then. She was surprised to find out he had written the hymn, and she assured him that the same Streams of mercy in that hymn still flowed. He had written a third verse. It said, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. And Robinson's own hymn was used to turn his wandering heart back. To the Lord, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Isn't it amazing how even after we follow Jesus, the flesh still wants to rebel? The Holy Spirit in us can give us the power, and we have the power. You have the resurrected Jesus living in you. We talk about what the cross has done and and then the forgiveness of sin, but don't stop right there. You have the power of Jesus in you. Living, the living Savior. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. How do I know he's alive? Because he lives in me. But maybe you've wondered, I got some great news for you. Instead of hiding over here in the shadows, running from God, chapter 1 says, why don't you walk in the light? Be honest with God. Believe it or not, he already knows. He knows what you're doing over here. So you walk out in the light, and you agree with him about your sin. Confess it. Lord, I I look at this and I know this is sin. I've tried to justify it every imaginable way, but I know that it's sin. He said, I've already forgiven it and I'm going to keep forgiving it. Just have fellowship with me and fellowship with one another. You've already been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Folks, we've made walking in the Lord difficult. We need to, we need to take off all the shackles. Yeah, well, God says there's some things we do and we don't do. I mean, you have children. You've done the same thing with them. Did you do that to be mean? Did you do that to make them burdened? No, you did it to keep them alive. Your kids come into the world and it's our job just to keep them from killing themselves. Well, the Lord said, I've got some limitations on you for your own good. But we want something that's measurable. I want to be able to check off a list. After all, you know, people, it's, it's just easier. If I make a list, I've, I've done that and I've done that and I've done that and I've done that and I've done that. And that gets old. (laughs) To walk in the light is to realize who you are in Jesus and realize that God loves you to the uttermost and you're his child and you have the freedom to enjoy. Jesus said, I've come to give you life abundantly. So I don't have to walk in fear. y'all walk like this? Y'all came in today, did y'all walk like this? No. The Lord says, you you can just walk in me. Just enjoy life in me. I live in you. Jesus said, I've come to set you free. Throw off all those chains and shackles. I don't know what the word for chill out Greek word is, but that's got to be one. <laughs> it's not a license to sin. It did not mean you go out here and do what you want. Holy Spirit gives you a joy and a peace and can help you walk in him. But I'm going to tell you, you can be a professional churchgoer just like I was for so many years and not know Jesus I'm a recovering Pharisee I know all the rules and regulations and yeah I want to walk in the light I want to walk in faith I want to look like a child of God and I'm still growing so are you but I want to enjoy the trip too and I want to realize, you know what? I've, I've grown up all my life trying to be all things to all people because I've been under a microscope most of my life, and I don't want to disappoint anybody. And, you know, But you know what? I, I just want to be me. I want to live in the Lord, and I want to live in freedom in the Lord. and not, I may not be what you think a pastor ought to be. I don't think I'm what a pastor ought to be. But I do know I want to walk in the light And when I see him, Jesus says, Leave him alone. He belongs to me. It's paid. That's who we are in Christ. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, you have no hope. Trust me on this. I'll take my word for it. Look at God's word. So don't say, Well, I go to this church and we do this and we're the only ones going. You're going to be surprised. Well, I'm going to be there too. If you make it. See, I've told you, I'm just as carnal as you sometimes. You thought it too. If you don't know Jesus, give your life to him today, trust him. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, thank you for making Christian Christian life so uncomplicated. It's trusting you daily with our life. You're with us in the good times. You're with us in the bad times. We're the ones that forget that you're with us. I lift up those who know what religion is. They're pretty tired of it. Because, Lord, we can't ever live up to our own religious expectations. (laughs) We can't. We can't even keep our own rules. I pray for those that need Jesus right now as their Savior. Your Spirit is showing them, convicting them, convincing them that they need to give their life to you. And I pray, Father, that all pride, all excuses will be out of the way. And they'll respond to you. Lord, it feels so good to know that our sins are forgiven. That we're made right with you. I pray for believers who have gotten bogged down. Maybe they're they're living in sin right now. Maybe they're involved in some kind of sin. And they're hiding in the shadows. I pray you'll help them walk out in the light. Confess that sin agree with you concerning their sin and walk in the forgiveness that you continually give. And Lord, thank you for making intercession for us. I pray for those that need a church. If this is the place you want them to come, you bring them here, Lord. If it's not, then send them someplace where they can serve you and be active and be involved and be a part and contribute and do something in it. Not just float around and help them get planted and be used. I pray for those that need to be baptized. Such a simple commandment to let people know by showing what's happened in their life. There are pastors at the front standing here to pray with you. Maybe you need to give your life to Christ. We'll sit down with you and, and, and show you how you can commit your life to Jesus. There's no hidden agenda here. Maybe you want to join Southcrest. We can do that. Maybe you need to be baptized. We can arrange that. Maybe there's just something on your heart. You need somebody to pray for you for a couple of minutes. Would you quietly stand? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.